Hey everyone! Welcome to episode 116 of F-Stop Collaborate and Listen. This week features two incredible photographers, Aaron Reed and Colby Brown. Aaron and Colby joined me on the podcast to talk all about marketing and business in photography, coming from two very different perspectives. Aaron is well known for his ability to sell large format art to buyers all over the world, and Colby is known for his work with brands on various photography-based projects and for teaching workshops all over the world. Aaron and Colby share their opinions and expertise relating to many business and marketing topics in photography, including their favorite strategies for growing their brand and audience, selling prints online, email marketing, social media strategies, attracting and keeping clients, and search engine optimization strategies. I think you guys are going to really like this episode. Before we get to the show, I wanted to make sure to remind listeners that we have started discussion threads for each episode over on Nature Photographers Network, aka NPN. It's an amazing platform and deserves your attention if you're looking to grow your skills, learn from the photography community, and take part in it. Additionally, members on NPN get amazing discounts on all kinds of great products, including 20% off Smug Mug, 20% off TK Panel and Videos, uh, 20% off Helicon Focus, 15% off my friend Phil Monson's stickers and, and apparel at Entrada Outdoor Company, 20% off Sean Bagshaw videos, 25% off Ryan Dyer videos, and the list just keeps going and going. It's really a quite an amazing collection of discounts that you get just by becoming a member of NPN. Perhaps my favorite is the 40% off Duraplac prints. So definitely check that out. I don't think a lot of people know that you get those discounts. All right. Well, let's get to the show. Awesome. Aaron Reed and Colby Brown, welcome to F-Stop Collaborate and Listen. Hey, thanks for having us. Thanks for having us. We're excited. Yeah. So so listeners know whose voice is who. Uh, Colby, you want to say what's up? Hey, what's up, everyone? My name is Colby Brown. Uh, I'm a landscape traveling humanitarian photographer. And uh, yeah, I'm just stoked to be here. Awesome. What about you, Aaron? Hi, uh, my name is Aaron Reed. I am a nature photographer, primarily sell large format prints to collectors around the world, teach workshops. And uh, just as a disclaimer, this podcast is brought to you by Sony. He went there already. I love it. All right. Yeah, we're getting right into it. Oh. And for people that don't know Colby, that was a big dig on Colby. So uh, Absolutely. Yeah, I've been a Sony artisan for about five years now. So uh, I, let, let Aaron get him in now. That's all right. He'll come around. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. When I asked uh, listeners for questions, I think the whole, you know, if, if, if you say Sony five times, will Colby's head explode? Those kind of questions <laughs> came up. So, so I, I like it. Good, nice work, Aaron. Yep. Well done. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So let's see, Colby, you're in Pennsylvania. Is that right? That's correct. Yeah. I moved out here about three years ago. Awesome. And and Aaron, where are you at? I live in a town called Sammamish. It's just outside Seattle. Cool. Awesome. Well, that's easy enough. So 
Well, I wanted to ask just a crazy question right out the gate because I think it will be fun to hear kind of your guys' uh, story. And uh, uh, pardon the harshness of the question, but how did you go from zero to hero as a photographer and how long did it take? And I'm assuming there's some interesting stories kind of woven into that journey. Uh, Do you want to go first, Colby? Yeah, sure. Um, well, I started doing this or attempting to do this in 2006. So we're about 13 years ago. And, you know, when I first got into photography, I, I had no idea what I was doing. I was very naive. I really just kind of fell into the art form, mostly as a means or what I perceived as a potential means for just to keep traveling. Uh, I kind of got an addicted to the, the travel bug um, back at that age. And yeah. I was single, nomadic, and I just wanted to be on the road. And digital cameras were just starting to come out. Canon came out with their XDI, which was like the first affordable digital, you know, mainstay camera. And so I picked one up, uh, learned, you know, taught myself some of the basics and then just started traveling around the world, which is, you know, what I wanted to do. And I'd say probably at least the first four or five years um, financially were a struggle. Um, I, I, you know, this was just the infancy age of social media. So that wasn't really around. Um, I mean, for those that grew up in photography outside the social media age, it was much more of a individual art form rather than a, a, you know, group or community type aspect like we have here now, where you have things like this podcast and helping people along and getting information that just wasn't available, you know, 13 years ago. Right. So there was a lot of, a lot of struggling earlier, you know, early on, um, I spent a lot of time traveling in Southeast Asia. I'd come back to the United States. I'd wait, te- uh, you know, wait tables, bartend uh, to kind of make ends meet. Um, and it wasn't until I got a handful of, of really great opportunities and then kind of learned to snowball them and really started diving into understanding the finer aspects of marketing and branding uh, where things starting to kick off along with the you know, increased presence of social platforms that really kind of helped elevate uh, individuals and brands like myself, um, back in those early years. Yeah. Would, would you say that, uh, since you were doing so much traveling, would you say that in your case, was it kind of like necessity being the mother of invention in terms of how do I try to find a way to sustain this thing? Yeah. I mean, you know, I think you, I think when you're first starting out you have the benefit of, of being naive and, and not really knowing what was going on or, or how to make it work. So you kind of do the spaghetti test. You're, you're, you try to be a jack of all trades. Um, early in those years, this is also kind of the dot-com boom of travel, you know, blogospheres. So, you know, all the big platforms were getting online, Condé Nast, Sierra Club. So when I was trying to make ends meet, I was just writing for whoever I could, including some images, trying to increase my skills uh, along the way. Um, but yeah, it was, it was a lot of guess and check a lot of, you know, making mistakes, sadly burning bridges that I didn't even realize were bridges. Cause uh, again, I just didn't know what I was doing. Sure. Um, and you know, learning the hard way to kind of figure out and navigate, um, you know, the intricacies of, you know, business and entrepreneurship and, uh, you know, all that it entails. Right. And what about for you, Aaron? How did, how did, how did your journey, uh, kick off? Uh, let's see. I started shooting in 2007. Uh, I became a photographer because I wanted to sell CDs on eBay. <laughs> That's why, uh, I basically bought a camera back then. There was no, uh, CD covers weren't something that you populated online. So if you wanted to sell something on eBay, you basically had to take a photo of it. So I went down to a local Best Buy, got a little point and shoot, uh, my only Nikon actually ever, 
uh, Sony. Um, and so then <laughs> I went down there and uh, got that and uh, uh, went to the beach that weekend and took some photos trying to learn how to use the camera and had a really great time doing it. Um, I don't have a lot of other hobbies, uh, no fishing, hunting. Uh, basically, if I'm not shooting or taking care of my kids, I'm just in my underwear in the living room eating ice cream. So Is that what you're doing not, right now? <laughs> exactly. That's exactly what I'm doing right now. Okay, nice. About, about halfway through, I'm just going to strip the underwear off and let you know. Um, so you'll it'll be an awkward silence, maybe. <laughs> a little tearing Colby sound. Might, <laughs> Colby, Colby might join me. You, you know, yeah. We'll see. Um but yeah, so I, I uh, had a lot of fun that weekend and decided I was going to be a photographer. And so uh, like all of us, I think uh, I had the bug and I lived in Portland at the time and did a lot of uh, traveling out to the gorge and uh, Mount Hood, basically places that I could afford to go uh, along with Colby. Um, I didn't have, I think I made maybe 12 bucks an hour at the time, uh, something like that at my job and uh, disposable income wasn't easy to come by. So um, I also did uh, basically anything I could to generate some extra revenue during that time, including uh, wedding photography and portrait photography and uh, a few other things. Uh, even though I had absolutely no clue what I was doing, I basically uh, threw an ad on Craigslist one day that I was going to be a wedding photographer and booked like three weddings that week oh, and no. then showed up there with one 24 to 70 lens and a, and a pop-up flash and just thought, well, here I am. And uh, it, it, some pretty interesting stories, of course, <laughs> from that, but um and I just took it from there. So, and then I, I delved into workshops. Um, you know, your original question is kind of funny because I think back at that time, it was a lot easier to be recognized uh, as a photographer. If you were half decent, yeah. um, you know, you could get, you could get some attention these days. You can be exceptional and struggle to get totally. attention. So um, it's kind of interesting how that's transpired, but uh, there was a lot of us uh, or a few of us, I should say, um, started teaching workshops back then. The only ones I knew of was uh, like Photo Cascadia and uh, myself down in Portland. Uh, just very few people. I mean, I think the first Gorge workshops I did, I charged like two forty nine for a four day <laughs> workshop because yeah, I had no idea, you know, no permits were involved. There was nothing, nothing like that because those requirements right. weren't even around. Um, and then, uh, and then, Kind of to fast forward through that, um, once my uh, once I found out my daughter was going to be born, um, I decided to focus uh, more of my attention on print sales because I kind of saw the writing on the wall that I wouldn't be able to uh, have as much time to teach the workshops and continue to shoot for myself. So that's kind of how that whole started. And did you have like a, can you remember like a specific moment where you went from you know, scraping by to like, oh, wow, I think this is actually going to be huge. Uh, well, I mean, by the time I decided to do print sales, I wasn't really scraping by anymore. I mean, I, I my job had gotten, you know, a little bit, my career had gotten a little bit better at that point. And so I wasn't struggling at that point, really. But um, there was definitely a point where uh, I'd say about after things really started rolling, after about six months where I got, I started getting print sales every single week for uh, maybe almost a year in a row and somewhere about halfway through there, um, you know, I would talk to my wife about it and think this is impossible. There's no way this can go on. I'm not even sure at that point. I wasn't even sure how it was happening. Uh, it was just kind of happening and I fully expected it to just drop off at any moment. Um, and so then, uh, I ended up going for another, 
two and a half years after that, uh, maybe three more um, of consistent sales. Um, and in fact, doubling sales year over year before I finally said, eh, I think this is fairly safe and and then quit working and, and uh, you know, bought, a, bought an airplane that says air read on the side and uh, start, you know, started, got a gold helicopter coming next month. So that's, that's my, that's my new plan. Okay, nice. Well, it's funny. My friend Paul Bowman said he used to work with you at Albertsons in Portland. He did. Yes. <laughs> he was he was technically my boss. That's yeah. that's so funny, man. <laughs> All right. Well, cool. So that's a great um, kind of foundation for where we're going to take this episode. So um, this next question, um, and I'm going to have maybe Colby kick us off. And it's, it's a huge open-ended question. So take it wherever you guys want. But uh, what are your top two strategies for growing your brand and audience? Brand and audience. Um, I think that's <laughs> tough. Um, I, I think right now, I, I think there, we're in an interesting space in the digital age of, of the internet and social media and photography, whereas Aaron was kind of alluding to or talking about how it's you know, a little bit more difficult to separate yourself out there. Um, I find that a lot of, or at least a decent number of, of people are starting to get a little bit dissatisfied with social media and, um, you know, mixed in with not only just the photo community, but also just, you know, news and negativity and all the stuff that's happening. So I, I, I say that as a preference because I still think social media has a role in community building and kind of building your brands and getting out there. Um, but I'd also add in, you know, direct communication as well. Uh, for me, that's, you know, direct email availability, that's, that's you know, newsletters, um, things like that, that help me expand my, connect uh, my connections with potential clients and users and photographers, because I do a lot of photo education as well. Um, and, and those kind of play quite a big role in that. Um, outside, of, mm. outside of the main social media platforms, and I think we've talked about this before on, on the podcast, um, but I still use things like LinkedIn, which are still phenomenal for me to expand the brand from a you know, proper brand standpoint rather than just um, within the photo industry. So working with companies sitting there and saying, hey, I want to, you know, pitch an idea of, you know, a campaign with X company, like who is the person that I need to talk to? Is it a campaign revolved around social media? Who's the social media marketing manager um, for, you know, this company? And then I can figure out exactly who to talk to because I find oftentimes and myself, you know, I was guilty of this early on in my career is that I probably had at least a few good ideas, probably a lot of bad ones as well. Um, but I always pitched them mm. to the wrong people. And that, you know, you, you would never hear back when you pitch to the person that doesn't make the decisions. And so I still, you know, to this day use uh, platforms such as LinkedIn to help build build the brand in that standpoint for kind of business to business uh, communication. Because I still make quite a bit of money doing marketing campaigns um, uh, along with the photo education stuff similar to, to Aaron. Mm. And when you say uh, using LinkedIn, are you basically adding people to your network on the platform and then just sending them a message? Like, what's your approach to that? No, I mean, so LinkedIn is different from a lot of other networks because it's kind of based on the the whole concept of like the six degrees of separation of Kevin Bacon type of thing. So the more removed you are from an individual, the more challenging they make it to allow you to communicate because obviously they don't want to let spam just kind of proliferate mm -hmm. the, the, the market. So <laughs> I pay, you know, their premium service, which is like 60 or 70 bucks a month. Uh, something like that. And that gives me a certain number of kind of what I consider cold emails. And mm. so 
if it's a person that I've worked with or, con- or if I've connected with and don't have their communication, don't have their uh, direct contact, then I can use that platform in order to reach out to them and say, hey, remember we met at so-and-so, you know, I have a couple ideas, would love to talk to you about it. Um, or if it's a new, you know, a new company, then it's more of a proper cold email. But I'm using it. I mean, I get a lot of photographers. I mean, I, you know, I have a, quite a large following on different social platforms. And a lot of people come to reach out to me on Instagram and Facebook. But a lot of people treat LinkedIn the same way. I get lots of, ra- you know, random photographers saying, <laughs> hey, I saw you speak at this conference. I'd love to connect. And I'm like, why? You know, like, like there, there's... To me, that's business to business communication and that platform. Yeah. I think a lot of people struggle to understand the value of it um, mm-hmm. and, and kind of where to focus their energy with it. And they try to treat it, treat it like every other social platform where on Instagram, people, everyone want to connect or Facebook, everyone wants to be friends. Like it, it's not doesn't work that way in the business world and especially in places like LinkedIn. So I don't I use it less to build my brand numbers and more to build the brand business and, mm-hmm. and certainly create more leads or potential leads to work with companies and clients and things like that. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Uh, what about for you, Aaron? Well, I think like uh, I think the difference between the two for me is <clears throat> kind of interesting and dynamic as far as the audience is concerned. And I would call that you know, fellow photographers and, and followers of my work. I don't really have any plan at all with that. I, I I post pictures on social media because I enjoy it. And I like the interaction that I get from some people uh, that's genuine. And, uh, and I try not to, I try not, I don't even really worry about, like I'll post a picture at 2am on a <laughs> Thursday night and it doesn't even matter to me. I, I I don't care really what kind of attention it gets. If I feel good about the photograph, um, that's all I need for it to be good for me. Um, and so because I, the, 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 the clients that I potentially have from social media uh, are strictly for my workshops and I don't have a lot of problems selling those out. So again, I, I don't really worry about that too much. Now on the flip side of that with uh, print sales, that is a continual job uh, that I have to pay lots of attention to. And the majority of it, or the, the, the top, number one secret, I guess, to it all is to identify ways to find those customers out there because they are not on social media. So that is the, uh, the, the one takeaway that I hope uh, anybody who who has the intention of selling prints uh, in the future, uh, you, you'll see I very seldom other than the the prints that I'm showing you um, online, which are kind of motivational uh, for uh, for lack of a better word, um, they I'm not really trying to sell prints online because people aren't buying them online. So you have to find ways to uh, identify your customer base outside of that. And there's lots of different ways to do that, but um, it, it takes a lot of work to uh, to continually find new ones. I think, and and really what it comes down to is answering people's questions that mm-hmm, mm-hmm. they may or may not know that they had. Well, I think it's, it's interesting. I mean, just to, to piggyback on that and it, it just brought up something as Aaron was, was explaining that. And this is something that I think is relatively known, at least from those of us that have been doing this for a long time. Um, but I find a lot of aspiring photographers don't understand it is that I get a lot of people reach out to me specifically talking about print sales, which is again, amusing because it's not a big part of my business. But oftentimes they're trying to leverage ways using social media in order to sell prints, as Aaron said, which doesn't really happen. And the reason for that is that when we go on Instagram or Facebook, like, who do you guys follow? Other photographers, right? 
And the vast majority of people do the same thing. And then all of a sudden, I'm going to sit there and say, oh, hey, I have this print for sale. And you push it out on social media. And you're pushing it out to all these other photographers that are all doing their own thing. They're all trying to push their own stuff. They're all trying to you know, figure it out. And it's just the wrong audience. And so you know, you, you can't sell prints or, or it's very difficult to sell prints to, to people in that space because they're looking to sell their own stuff. And it's just... It's always interesting when I get that comment, which or those questions, because they happen multiple times a week of people reaching out and say, how do I make, you know, how can I make a living doing landscape work? Or how do I sell more prints? And like the vast majority of the time, they're only pushing it on social media to their, you know, small number of followers. And those small number of followers are typically other photographers, which mm-hmm. aren't interested. Yeah, it's funny how uh, our audiences as photographers, I would say like probably 80% of my friends are other photographers on social media. So it's you have a very good point. <laughs> yeah. Well, let's talk a little bit about uh, email marketing because I'm assuming you you guys both leverage email uh, to, to conduct some of your business. And I'm curious kind of what your guys' approach is um, and how large of a factor email marketing is for your business strategy. Sure, I'll tackle it. Mine's going to be short and sweet. Uh, I, have, I have basically, I, I neglect it. Uh, pretty badly. Um, I don't use it a whole lot. Um, I have obviously a way for uh, folks to sign up uh, on my website. And the majority of people that do sign up there are people that are kind of interested in workshops, I think, and and things like that. And then I have a second list um, that's very valuable, potent list of uh, every person that's ever bought a print from me. And so um, that list is is obviously uh, very valuable. And um, if I'm even even though I sell a very large number of prints, if I go a good solid, you know, ten to fourteen days uh, without selling a print, which happens, uh, I'll, I'll start getting really sad and depressed and lock, lock myself in my office. Here, I start telling myself that I'm a terrible photographer and the world's going to end. And and then I'll pull out my fancy email list and send that out a little, maybe. 15, 20% off, uh, you know, for my customers, uh, past customers and, you know, sell four or five prints that night. So that, that's really the only way that I use it. Um, every once in a while, I may blast something else out out there about, you know, new images available or things like that, but uh, really, really limited and, and kind of the way I do everything else, just a hack fly by the seat of my pants, uh, way of doing things they're beautiful pants though so yes very nice <laughs> they're not they're not on right now that's right i was gonna say you're not wearing them right <laughs> <No>. <laughs> and what about for you colby um yeah to me as uh, i mean i think email marketing is and you know the you know direct newsletters are still quite viable and valuable i mean it, it ultimately depends on your business structure and depends on what products and services you're offering um, you know, for Aaron, he does, you know, a decent amount of photo education, but he also makes a lot of money doing, you know, print sales, which is phenomenal. Um, for myself, uh, you know, outside of the marketing campaigns, which I'm not, you know, pushing out to my newsletter to, you know, work with Dell or, you know, Google or something like that's just not how it works. But when I have video tutorials, um, you know, uh, you know, presets, um, you know, workshops, like I have, you know, a list of about 40,000 photographers that, I'll try to reach out to um, as best I can every month. I try to, I'm actually trying to ramp that up and hiring more people to kind of create more content. Um, but it, it, I, I feel in a day and an age where again, people are getting dissatisfied with social media, at least to some extent, and the algorithms are continuing to kind of screw people over just because they constantly change. We never know what's happening. 
Um, I think things like email marketing, when done right, can be exponentially valuable if you have the right products and services to match up with that. And you're, you're, you're able to ingest the right type of clients, which I, or right type of users or readers or I don't know, whatever you want to call them. Because the difference between email marketing and, and regular social media is that assuming you're not paying for ads on Instagram, it's free to post there. When it comes to email marketing, if I have a you know list of 40,000 people, like that costs me hundreds and hundreds of dollars a month to be able to reach those things through you know companies like Constant Contact or Mailchimp or things like that. And so I have to build into I have to build in those costs and then again learn to leverage the ability to directly connect with these individuals at a higher rate typically than you get on social media. And again, it's a much more concentrated um, group of individuals than the random people that follow you online that may or may not be interested in what you're trying to potentially offer here or there. Right. No, that makes a lot of sense. I feel like uh, email marketing is so tough too, because people's in- inboxes just get inundated with emails every day. You know, it's it's hard to stand out. It's hard to break through, but there, you know, there, it's interesting because there's a handful of companies that are starting to try to find ways around it. Because I think you're right. I mean, the, the, the problem is that the vast majority of stuff ends up in spam, right? So if you're looking at an open rate for a news, you know, a campaign, if you can get in the 10 to 25% range, like that's pretty amazing, you know, depending on your numbers. Um, in terms of actually, you know, people opening up certain types of stuff. And again, depending on how large it is, but there are companies like OneSignal and a handful of other ones out there that are actually built into the, these new kind of notification email lists or, or equivalent, I guess you should say. So you go to my website, you go to someone else's website and says, hey, do you want to be notified of, uh, you know, do you want to turn on notifications for cool ground photography? Someone says, yes. Now, anytime I post a new blog post, for example, that will go out to tens of thousands of people that had clicked and said this. And it doesn't happen through email. It happens just on their phone or on their desktop, if that's where they had allowed it. So there's starting to be ways to work around it. But I think the core concept is the same. We're trying, as businesses, we're trying to figure out ways to have more of a direct connection to the end user without being subjected to these vast you know, shifts and changes on social media that can be you know, quite devastating or challenging for a lot of people out there. You know, for me, for example, in between December and February of this year alone, my organic reach on Instagram dropped by about 40% for no reason, um, just dropped. And you're see- I- I'm seeing it through a lot of other people out there that have large followings as well. And so if you rely on that, which I know some other photographers do um, that are kind of up and coming, then all of a sudden that hurts a lot because then they can't take that following and you know reach out to a company and say, hey, let's work together. I can offer you this. Um, so instead, you know, diversifying and being able to still leverage things like newsletters that I've built up when I've had momentum on different social platforms, I think is another key lesson in terms of just entrepreneurship and businesses, you know, take advantage of the the tide as it's, you know, rolling your way. Right. Hey, Matt, I, I got to tell you right now, thanks for having us on this podcast. I I have now found the person that talks more than I do. Do <laughs> you have a fucking buzzer for Colby or something? Jesus. Christ. No buzzers. <laughs> No, I, we can we can go like uh, like that. 
There you go. Nice. <laughs> Something, anything is good. No, I, I think it's important to note too. It's it's about for me with my customers, I'm trying to provide value. So it depends on what you're offering, right? If you if you're basically standing on your front porch shouting at people as they drive by, which is what I see a lot of people doing on social media and can only assume that they're doing the same thing uh, via e- an email distribution list, then people are going to grow very tired of you, even if what you're offering is, is something they enjoy. You know, even if it's a, uh, they really like your photography or whatever it is that you're offering. Um, if you're not providing an additional value to them, then, and, and giving them incentive to do business with you now, then it's not worth doing in my opinion. So I try to limit those things. And when I do send them out, um, number one, I want my customers to feel uh, special that I'm giving them something different than they're getting other people, uh, no matter when, uh, trying to thank them basically for being part of my, uh, distribution list and part of my business. Um, and and, uh, same thing on social media. If I, if I run a sale or do something like that on social media, it needs to be actually something special and, I try very hard not to sound pathetic, uh, which a lot of folks also do, unfortunately, on social media. Uh, the, the very worst thing that you can do if you're trying to sell prints, for example, is to price yourself at, let's say, $2,000 and then have a 95% off sale because <laughs> automatically everybody knows your shit is garbage and nobody's going to buy it from you. Even if they really like it, they are going to know that it's worthless and not be willing to give you that uh uh, that that fifty bucks or whatever, uh, whatever five percent or two grand is. <laughs> no, I've I've heard of, I've seen some people do that strategy where they're like I don't know if if begging is the right word or or complaining. That's a great word for it. But I, I have seen some people you know like oh no one's bought anything from me in months and it's depressing and I I survive on this income and and it's interesting to see the responses people get from that because I think it sometimes can work for some people depending on their fan base. I think that's actually more valuable than having a 95% off sale. If you want to, you know, degrade yourself to the point that you're basically <laughs> holding up a cardboard sign that says we'll work for prints, like then, then that is a, definitely a better plan than, than having a 95% off sale, but you're right. You'll see them. It'll be, it'll be, it's the last chance for my buy one, get five free sale. <laughs> and then the next Two hours later, no, seriously, last chance. And then the next day, I'll be like, for any of you that didn't see my last chance post last night, and it just keeps going. It's like, Jesus, when is this going to end? So Third last chance. Yeah. I, That's I right. Think, uh, I think that perceived value is, is is a big thing that, again, I think a lot of people don't understand. And, and uh, you know, I think to, to Aaron's point, you know, you don't – you price yourself for the work that you want. You know, you price yourself to sell the prints that you want. You know, when I work with companies, I charge – what I feel my value is at. I'm not going to undercut myself because you'll always be that person. You'll always be the person that often offers 95% and your clients aren't going to, or even if they do return to you, are going to be like, Hey, well, I bought this at 95% off. Why am I going to buy it at full price next time? Mm-hmm. I think that's a, a you know, it, it's a hard lesson. And um, again, just talking about that idea of perceived value. Like if you're sitting there and you're begging all the time, if you're celebrating every tiny, small victory, you know, I, I think there's value in that, I guess, supposedly if you're just starting out, but once you've kind of established yourself, you know, I, I agree with Aaron. I think it kind of just looks a little bit sad and, you know, the, the pity party gets you so far. It's not sustainable. You can't build a brand off of begging people and making people feel sorry for you. You you have to, you know, showcase value for what you're doing. And if you can't, then you need to change what you're doing. Simple as that. 
it's also not even value for, it's not even the way that you're uh, presenting yourself to others. It's basically the self-talk that you're having with yourself. So if I, I've had customers who have been just the kind who uh, almost refuse to, to do business with you unless they get the best deal ever. Like they really want to know they pushed you past your limit in, in a negotiation. And uh, I've actually turned people away where I would have made a couple grand on the deal, but because it passed my, you know, thin line there in the sand, um, I just tell them, nope. Uh, and, and the reason why is because the minute that I crossed that for myself, I just told myself that my work wasn't valuable. And if you tell yourself your work isn't valuable, it's not going to be valuable to anybody else either. So it, it goes both ways to be able to, to put that out for others, but to continue to re reaffirm for yourself that your own work, your own hard work, uh, regardless of what some people think, uh, it definitely has value. Yeah. I think, one other thing I would add to that, that a kind of a different way of thinking about that in terms of adding value is asking the question, what problem are you solving for that customer, right? Because I feel like if you think about it that way and you answer that question, it gives you a framework by which you can actually propose what you're trying to offer to somebody. Agreed. Agreed. I mean, I think that that kind of goes to the core of just how non-complex business actually is. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I think <laughs> that, you know, so many photographers, so many artists, I wouldn't necessarily say photographers, it's not endemic to this art form. Um, but I think artists in general, maybe it's a left brain, right brain type of thing. Uh, but they just overcomplicate things. They they become so, uh, they take everything so personal. And, and to me, at least for, for me, uh, you know, business is, is separate. There's, you know, business hat and a personal hat. And I think that the people kind of con you know, mix up the two and all of a sudden make things much more complicated than they have to be, you know, marketing one-on-one, like you got to find the right people to talk to that want to buy your stuff. Like you need to have, you know, value for what you are. You need to, to offer a, uh, an answer to a, a problem that a customer has. Is it a sale? Is it something they want on the wall? Do they want to be inspired? Do they want to learn photography? Does a company want to hire someone to solve X, Y, and Z? And if you can't learn to understand that for yourself as well as to be able to pitch it out there, then again, you're going to struggle. And a lot of people sadly mm -hmm. do. That's right. Well, I had a follow-up mm -hmm. uh, question regarding email lists, and it's from uh, listener Richard Wong. And um, his question is, regarding growing email lists, uh, many e-commerce companies automatically opt customers into their email lists. Uh, this is obviously a very gray area in terms of compliance. What is your guys' approach? Um, I just, I, I, again, I, I think it's not a, a numbers game is not how you approach newsletters because again, you pay for people that don't want to be there. So for me, I think it's important to let people opt in that actually want to be a part of the newsletter or whatever you're trying to offer in terms of this type of service. So if they're interested in workshops and they sign up for my workshop waitlist or Aaron's workshop waitlist, like that's what I reach out to them for. Um, if they're not interested in that, mm -hmm. I don't want them on my list because I don't want to pay for them to sit there and get emails uh, that they don't want to get. Um, and then it costs me more money. So long winded answer to your question. If I'm automatically putting people onto a list that they didn't intentionally sign up for the hit rate of me getting uh, you know, a higher concentration of people actually interested in, interested in my product without me having to pay for that convenience um, is is not sustainable again in the long term. So I'm constantly trying to figure out ways to remove people from my lists that don't want to be there because otherwise it's just a waste of money. And you know, you might sit there and say, "Hey, it's 250 bucks. It's 500 bucks a month." Well, 500 dollars a month if you have a decent sized list is six thousand dollars a year. 
Like that money could be gone to gear or travel or other marketing aspects if I'm not getting any value out of it. There's starving photographers online right now that would die for $500. That's true. Starving. No, it's definitely true. What, what's your approach, Aaron? I mean, it sounds like you are a little bit less um, you know, focused on the email list side of things, but I'm assuming you don't opt people in automatically. I don't. I also don't drive the speed limit and I don't give a shit about compliance. Uh, but yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't opt people in. I just do what I feel like doing. I like it. Well, you guys want to talk a little bit <laughs> about search engine optimization? Sure. Okay. Sounds, yes. sounds sexy. It does. <laughs> I mean, we should maybe like rename that like sexy lingerie website <laughs> dressing or something. We, I don't we know. might, you might get a different clientele for your podcast though. So you, you might, you know, reap what you sow. If we're, if we're going to rename it, we're not going to let you rename it, Matt. That's, for <laughs> <laughs> That's fair. That's fair. <laughs> I was just going to say, you'd be surprised how many people don't know what search engine optimization is. Um, but it is absolutely critical for, uh, the reason that Colby mentioned earlier with the algorithms on social media, you've got a lot of photographers out there who basically have built their entire uh, empire uh, around social media and their uh, self-worth is directly connected to the amount of Instagram followers they have. And if they flip that uh, algorithm on you next week, uh, you know, you're going to be staring down the muzzle of a gun trying to figure out where your life went. Um and have, you know, I, there was one gentleman, I'm not going to name him because I'm not trying to degrade the guy, but um, he was along with Colby uh, sitting atop the pile of the Google Plus uh, people. And, and he had put all of his eggs into that basket and all of his uh, followers were on there. And then when uh, Google Plus ended, I saw him pop up on Instagram and he's a, a good photographer and a nice guy. And he popped up on there and had like four followers on there. And he's like, here I am starting over. For those of you who don't know me, I just ran a 95% off sale over on Instagram. It's the last chance. It's the last chance. So your, your, your personal website uh, and in attention, in continuance of that, your email distribution list or, or anything directly related to your website is the absolute most important thing that you can pay attention to because it's the only thing that you have almost total control over um, where you don't have to worry about those things uh, taking you out in the future. 100% agree. Absolutely. I mean, I know of newer photographers and, I, and maybe the correct term is younger photographers or I don't know, aspiring photographers, whatever we want to label them, uh, that have even started to forego the idea of having a website and instead will just use Instagram as their portfolio. And it's just such ripe for destruction and disappointment down the line because again, as Aaron said, you don't have control over it. So I, I just, I don't, I don't understand that mentality. Yeah. Social media, is, social media is disgusting. You know, to be honest, I mean, I think a lot of us can agree on, on some level uh, and with photographers specifically, I've seen it happen over the years and it's, I mean, it even happens with myself, you know, the, the problem in my opinion, and, and obviously this is a little bit off topic, but the problem for me is that you can be a halfway decent photographer and people, whether they are being genuine or because they want reciprocal, uh, you know, attention from you will just pile on these, uh, you know, these, Oh, you're amazing. You're a rock star. You know, like these, these kind of language that the majority of us, myself included, never heard throughout our lives. Like I, before <laughs> I became a photographer, nobody gave a shit about me. And so to, to have that just piled on you like that. It's funny because somewhere in our brain, if I tell you, 
you are a rock star photographer, somewhere in your brain, you cut off the photographer part and forget all about the fact that you're a photographer and all you heard is you're a rock, a rock star. star. And now I'm like, yeah, I've arrived. Like, and so these people, you know, that, and, and so on Facebook, for example, if, if they've got, you know, let's say a big pile of followers on Facebook and then Facebook flips the algorithm and then they all move to Instagram and Instagram is where they're getting all their attention from. Then they just plug into that, you know, and it's like one thing to the next. And I think we all saw it when that, uh, uh, what was that, that last one that popped up? Was it? Oh, yeah, there you go. So that one popped out I mean, for like a week and a half. All we saw was like, come see me on this. Come see me here. Come see me here. And within three weeks, that thing had completely fallen off. And we all have, you know, uh, we all have pages on there that have like two pictures on there. Uh, <laughs> it's pretty funny. Uh, but yeah, you got to got to invest in yourself uh, and make sure that you are in control of your destiny and not uh, uh, Facebook or Instagram. Agreed. Yeah. So in terms of building up your search engine optimization, like how long has it taken you to do that? Uh, it's taken me a long time. I, I, I started uh, when I when I started focusing on print sales, I didn't even really know that I needed to do that. Um, I knew I needed customers and I needed to try to figure out ways to reach them. Um, but I didn't put as much uh, emphasis into it as I do today. Um, so it's been just the last couple of years, I think, where I've really uh, went above and beyond to try to increase my uh, my. Uh, space out there in, on the internet. And it's all done by content. It's all content driven. So um, Google wants to know that you are an authority on whatever it is that you're talking about, because uh, Google wants to make sure that if they pull up a result for their customer, which is your customer, and that they're going to be giving them relevant results that they are uh, happy to receive. And so they want to make sure that you are an authority on what you're talking about and that you are going to continue to give them new and fresh content that they can then pass on to their customers, which again, are your customers. So if you, even if you set your website up perfectly and it's targeted really well for, for search engine optimization, and you've done everything else, right. If you then just kick back and think you're done, uh, that is not the way it works. <laughs> and what about for you, Colby? I would say the same thing. I mean, I, in, in a similar vein, I, you know, in those early years had no idea what I was doing. Uh, you know, my, my site's been up for a long time, which I, you know, the history of a, you know, online platform all has value to uh, Google's algorithms because it is an algorithm still um, for search engine op optimization. Um, and so those early years, I, I didn't know what I was doing. And, you know, you just try to, you know, read some stuff here and there. YouTube wasn't big back then. Like <laughs> we couldn't really teach ourselves all that much. Um, but I would say the last couple of years, I definitely started focusing a lot more attention on it. Um, for me, in terms of the actual value out of search engine optimization is uh, multiple fold. Again, uh, my revenue streams are, you know, partly uh, a large chunk of my revenue comes from uh, marketing campaigns, which don't have anything to do with search engine optimization or very little, at least. Mm -hmm. uh, but certainly the photo education side of things um, compared uh, unlike the print sales, which Aaron also does, as well as the teach the workshops. And so for me, I look at search, search engine optimization a little bit more of a numbers game than I do for a lot of my other stuff where I'm writing reviews, a lot of stuff of Sony as a Sony ambassador. And I get all Sony, Sony. I get a lot of, of followers uh, or I got a lot of, of, of viewers out of that each month, a couple hundred thousand. And that to me, as I continue to build that up, I'm seeing more and more people you know, that are coming for those reasons are, are staying or coming back for the other stuff that I offer. So once I really started getting into 
uh, writing lots of reviews on Sony cameras or lenses, for example, I started seeing a massive uptick in uh, people that were coming on my workshops that also had Sony gear. Mm. Um, I think there's a direct correlation there. And, um, uh, you know, ultimately with the photo education with being broad, we certainly want photographers. And so I too focus on content, uh, but also the nitty gritty stuff built into um, SEO in terms of, you know, correct alt tags and keywording and looking at competition and trying to, you know, find the right page ranking uh, or, or, or figure out what I can get for page ranking for a lot of my bigger uh, uh, priced items, such as, you know, $5,400, you know, workshop to Patagonia. Like I want to be on page one for that. I don't want to, if I can, if I can fill a workshop and I don't have to spend a dime and everyone's finding me organically, like that's my goal. And that's what's been happening for the last few years. Whereas as I continue to expand, now I'm trying to kick up that content game and do more things and bring more people in to fill these more spots because I get, you know, anywhere between 60 to hundred clients a year for workshops because I teach these big classes all over the world. Um, and so I have to work harder to kind of you let SEO continue to help with that as well. And are, are you guys doing all of your own SEO or have you hired anyone to help do that or is it totally in-house? I hired somebody once uh, for when I, when I first set up my uh, current website with, with Jack uh, Bauer out of Colorado there, which uh, the wide range galleries uh, workshop or the websites he does are phenomenal. Um, when I first built my website with Jack, I decided that it was probably a good idea to uh, hire somebody and, and kind of get a good look at it from the beginning. So I hired a gentleman for three months, uh, 1200 bucks a month uh, for three months, which is relatively cheap uh, for a, an SEO expert um, that you can definitely get uh, railroaded by some of those guys. They'll give you a quote of, you know, 15 grand a month. But, uh, but yeah, so he, and he did, you know, it wasn't, um, it wasn't mind blowing information that he gave me, but there was definitely some uh, tips that he gave me in there that uh, absolutely gave me a, a leg up uh, when it came to uh, creating content and and at least having a you know a solid plan uh, moving forward. What about for you, Colby? Um, I haven't hired anyone out. I've I've honestly started looking at some of the the bigger players in the industry um, right now, but uh, you know just to kind of help as I continue to expand and grow these these brands. Um, but in the same vein as what Aaron was just saying, like there's just so much shoddy people out there in the SEO space and it's so hard to figure out where's the right value. There's no guarantees and it's, it's a challenging space. I, I think, I don't know, personally, I think in this day and age, I think there's so much information online that you can spend and invest some time and at least understand the core dynamics of, um, of what you need to do. And then from there, maybe, you know, once you've built up a, a bit of a, a base, so to speak, you could find, um, maybe find someone to kind of help, you know, take things a little bit to the next level. But I think, you know, trying to, trying to take the shortcut, it just doesn't work in, in SEO, in my experience, at least. I think, you know, you have to put in the time and, and the energy um, to not only get it right, but to create the right type of content, to use the right different uh, attributes for the posts and these different things that, um you know, hopefully pay off in dividends in the end. And what kind of tools or techniques are you guys using? Um, and Aaron, you can go first uh, to uh, to maintain your SEO. Like I know there's lots of 
things you can do and, and it can be very complicated, but kind of in a nutshell, what are some of the things you guys do? Yeah, there's lots of stuff out there. Um, I use a, a website called SpyFu uh, and there's a ton that are like it, um, but that's the one I particularly use uh, that basically allows me to monitor not only my own keywords, um, uh, but to take a peek at other people's, um, the way other people's websites are doing and the, the search engine uh, optimization that they have on their website. So you can basically see, you know, uh, where people rank, what they rank for, you know, what, what long tail keywords fell off this month, which ones, you know, got picked up. And, um, you know, I, I personally use, uh, uh, I will look at uh, competitors, I'll call them, even though uh, they might not be competitors. Like, for example, uh, art.com is a huge website. Uh, they they sell everything from expensive art down to, you know, $30 canvas prints and, and are huge. And I think they rank for over a million long tail keywords. I mean, it's just ridiculous, right? So wow. um, they've been in business for a long time. And, and so I will look at a website like that and figure out, you know, you can see basically how many monthly searches there are for a particular uh, long tail keyword. And so I'll just try to cherry pick out of there like, oh, that one, you know, pertains to me, uh, you know, and then try to drum up a way that I can create some content that'll somehow, you know, help me get a little tiny piece of that. Um, and so that's basically the, uh, the the number one way that I kind of uh, look to, to create that uh, to get that uh, connection there. And what does that look like? Like a blog post or something like that? Yeah, it's, it's a blog post. It may be a gallery. Um, there, there's a few different ways to do it, but um, blog posts are certainly, uh, you know, if I, if I did YouTube, um, YouTube would be another one. Uh, I, I have a YouTube channel that has just a couple of slideshows on it, but uh, there's actually a bodybuilder named Aaron Reed. He's the world's, the world's tallest bodybuilder. So if you, if you Google my name, which, you know, I rank really high for, obviously, um, I rank with him. So we're like sharing the same space and, and I have, you know, a, a dad bod that's really sad. Did I say, did I tell you I eat a lot of ice cream? So I'm sitting there, you know, standing next to this guy, the world's tallest bodybuilder. And it's pretty sad, but so I, I have a YouTube channel where I try to, uh, push down some of his videos, but, um, yeah, th those types of things, anything content driven, uh, is going to be what, what you're looking for again, to show Google that you are knowledgeable about what you're talking about and, uh, that you can provide some value to them that they can in turn provide to their customers. That's the, the whole deal. And anything you'd add to that, Colby? Um, not necessarily. I mean, I think all that is vitally important um, to, to stay ahead of the game. Um, Spy food I actually never heard of. I actually just pulled it up as Aaron was talking. It looks very interesting. Um, I think there's a handful of other services out there that are also worth looking into. There's ones like Content King, um, uh, Moz. Um, a lot of them, I mean, all of them are paid if you want any of the good stuff. And so... You know, to me, it's, I mean, keyword, keywording is huge. You know, ranking for keywords is big. Again, if I'm, if, you know, I rank number one on the first page for Patagonia workshops, for example, like I'm going to get a lot more people signing up for that than people that are on page two or three, regardless. It's just the nature of how ranking works and how the human psyche works. They want to see people in that first list. And the more pages you go down, the less they're interested in. Uh, but I think there's, there's also quite a bit more towards, how SEO is, um, as a, in terms of a complete picture, how it affects your website um, or, or what attributes affects your website. So it's not just the keyword ranking and the content. It's the use of, again, like I said, um, uh, alt, uh, alt keywords for, for images. Um, it comes down to load speeds. Um, all sorts of different stuff, I think, plays a role. So I use a, a couple different services to sit there and say, okay, how do I maximize um, you know, the speed of, say, a Patagonia workshop or 
Iceland workshop or, or something like that, that will also play a role into um, how Google interprets this. And, and, you know, when we say search engine results, in reality, most of us really just mean Google. I mean, I think today they're still like 67% of all search out there with the rest of it being cut up with uh, some of the stuff coming out of China. And then you also get, um, you know, a little bit of Bing and, and Yahoo and, um, you know, Duck, Duck and whatever some of the other ones are. Um, so Google's the one we're all trying to pay attention to, but because it's such this massive, you know, machine that comes to SEO, you kind of got to hit on a couple different points. You can't just create good content. It's certainly vitally important, but you also have to have a good design website that looks good and is responsive on mobile tablets and desktops. You want speed to, to play a factor. You want keywords. Um, uh, you want alt tabs. You want all these different things. So each of these different services I use try to keep a pulse on what's happening and what's changing. I also subscribe to newsletters from a handful of SEO websites um, that uh, also help, you know, for changing stuff. Because again, these algorithms do change and they kind of try to pick up trends before they're happening or as they're happening so that you can kind of stay ahead of the game rather than constantly playing catch up, which from a business standpoint is never a fun place to be. Yeah, I'm curious for both of you guys, uh, have you been able to attribute a percentage of of your business or how, or how people learn about you to SEO and your website, or does it, I'm guessing it probably depends on what you're trying to, to sell. I best, I, I'm guessing for Aaron, it's a bit higher. What do you think, Aaron? Yeah. I mean, for the, for the print sales uh, side of my work, it's, you know, almost all of it uh, basically. Um, and then for my workshops and stuff, it would be the, be the reverse. I mean, I, I rank for quite a bit of workshop stuff as well. Um, and, and for people searching different things, but, uh, I think people on social media, I think to connect with a, uh, a workshop leader, you have to connect with their work, uh, first and foremost. Um, I think very few people would just say, well, I want to go to Patagonia and I don't care you know, what this guy's work looks like. I'm just going to pick an instructor from there. And so, uh, I think I find people or people find me that way through social media that appreciate the art that I create. But um, for the uh, the print sales business, uh, absolutely. The, the, the customers that I have are uh, eccentric uh, many times and uh, have a lot of money and they are not sitting around Googling Facebook. They are they are places on, I mean, I get these phone calls from people that would blow your mind. You know, they, like this person will call me and sound like a Hollywood producer, like, Aaron, love your work. And I'm like, hey, how's it going? You know, like, and, and it's really funny to talk to these people. And when I first started selling a lot of prints, I would, I would be amazed, you know, when somebody would call me and order, you know, seven prints and send me $12,000, I think, wow, this is, who is this person, you know, and I would Google their, their address, you know, that I obviously just received from them. I'd be like, oh, this is a person that has a $8 million house. Like, okay. And, and then, you know, as time went on, I, I, I've got customers who, you know, will, will still surprise me to this day where I'll get a customer who I find out, you know, owns the estate that's next to the, uh, the tree at Pebble Beach golf course that, uh, that, uh, uh, the lone Cypress out there. I actually have a customer who's became a friend of mine who literally owns that $68 million estate. Um, so it, like, those are the kinds of people. And, and it's funny to me, the conversations that I have with these guys, obviously I talk to them differently than I talk to you, but uh, it's really interesting to talk to some of these people. And, and, uh, but yeah, all of it is, all of it is uh, basically driven through, through the internet, um, through Google basically. I'm assuming you're wearing pants also when you talk to them. Sometimes, but I don't tell them either way, either way, if I don't tell them. <laughs> Colby is kind of, I'm guessing for you, it's probably more for the workshop side that you're seeing the results. Yeah, absolutely. I, I just need a second. I'm trying to get that visual image of my, you know, out of my head of 
Aaron sitting pantsless talking to a guy that owns a $65 million house. But um, I'll send you the raw. I'll send you the raw. <laughs> send, send me the raw files. I want to p- pull up that dynamic range. I shoot yeah. cannons still for the next <laughs> the next seven days. I still shoot cannons, so uh, for... my dynamic range is really, really small. <laughs> Touche. Uh, too many jokes there. All right, so um, yeah, SEO. I, I yeah, to, to me, for you're right. The benefit is mostly workshop stuff, um, uh, but it. I think that a lot of people look at my social media numbers and think that a lot of business comes from that, and it just isn't the case. Um, in my experience, the social media numbers are much more prevalent for, again, the marketing campaigns. Uh, companies want to have that reach in order to have, you know, essentially brand repetition is what it comes down to. A company constantly sees, or a person constantly sees X laptop, X camera, X experience, X location. Um, then all of a sudden they'll want to go there. They'll want to buy it. They want to have that experience. They want to be inspired, all that stuff. But in terms of workshops, um, I find that the as the more you increase the value or the cost, um, the price, I guess, of whatever you're offering, the less valuable social media is, in my personal opinion. So the number of people I get signing up for my workshops through social media, especially for the, the larger, more expensive ones, is exponentially smaller than search engine results. So, um, you know, I will have a trip to wherever, Patagonia, Iceland, Africa, maybe one out of 10 will have found me on social media or when I did a small post about going to this place or I have a spot open up at the last second and almost everyone else is coming through search engine results. And that's just, again, the nature of the beast. It's different if you're doing tutorials because it's like 25 bucks, 50 bucks, 100 bucks, whatever it is. It's much lower lying fruit. It's easier for people to sit there and say, hey, I'm gonna do this on the fly. Um, but search engine results to me are by and far the leading reason that, uh, or, or the leading traffic that comes for people that sign up for, for all of my workshops around the world. That's good to know. <laughs> awesome. Well, uh, winding down. So who would you guys uh, recommend, uh, come on the podcast? Uh, Colby, you go first. Sure. Um, I'll go ahead and recommend, uh, Drew, uh, Geraci. He is a photographer and um, time-lapser that lives on the East Coast. Um, you've seen his time-lapse work, even if you don't know it. It's the the montage that happens in the beginning of House of Cards. He's also done stuff for the NFL, all sorts of stuff out there. But he has, um, he's very talented. Uh, he's, he's, he has a lot of knowledge to share. Uh, he's certainly opinionated, so it's kind of a, a good mix for this podcast. I like it. And what about for you, Mr. Aaron? I'd like to uh, recommend a gentleman named Benjamin Everett. Uh, it's a gentleman I saw, I've known only through Instagram, uh, follow him on there. And he's got a lot of uh, photography with just a touch of fantasy mixed in and does some really incredible things to where you uh, you look at the image and you kind of know that it's not a real place if you've never been there, but it looks enough, it looks realistic enough that you you question it in your own mind. And I, I would assume that a large majority of, of the elements going in there, you know, are real places. Um, but I'm, I would love to hear uh, more about how he does those uh, those things. And um, uh, I just think it's really cool. So um, I'd like to see him on the podcast. Awesome. Yeah, I was introduced uh, to his work from uh, my friend Michael Bellino. And I checked it out. It's pretty interesting stuff. Very cool. Yeah. Well, so what are you guys coming up that you want to tell listeners about? Uh, Colby, what's coming up? 
Um, I actually leave on Monday, as I mentioned a second ago, for uh, heading up to Alaska to photograph grizzly bears. Uh, I won the permit for the McNeil River area, which is a pretty prized uh, spot to to hang out with grizzlies for four or five days in a kind of intimate experience uh, and, and do it safely, uh, which is uh, quite interesting. Um, and then, yeah, the, actually the rest of the year is mostly tied to wildlife as well. I got workshops and projects coming up in Brazil, the jaguars and uh, Mongolia with eagle hunters, um, and then South Africa and South Georgia as well at the tail end of the year. So you're not, you're not very busy at all. It sounds like <laughs> it's, you know, it, it's, it's interesting. I mean, uh, you know, having me and Aaron on the show where we have, we, we have quite a bit of differences in, in how we run our businesses and also quite a bit of similarities, which is nice. Um, you know, Aaron, when, when he, or I guess you say you, since you're here, Aaron, when you, uh, you know, things started taking off and you had your daughter, like you kind of made that choice, um, you know, to be more you know, home with your family. Uh, for me, I'm, you know, my companies are pretty much what provide for my family. So I had to step things up further um, once we had my son who who's, uh, turns eight this year. And so for me, I've kind of had a little bit of the reverse where, yes, I have to travel quite a bit, but I've worked on, you know, trying to actually bring my family along on more of these adventures. We just got back from Turks and Caicos in the Caribbean. I've taken my family to Iceland. Uh, we're going to Japan and Africa and like just try to take my home or the, those that I, I care about and, and bring them along with these adventures as I continue to travel because I, I don't see slowing down happening anytime soon. And at the same time, I don't want to be away from them. So I kind of have to figure something out. I like it. And what about for you, Aaron? What do you got coming up that you want to tell people about? Uh, I've got kind of a mix of of trips, workshops, and, uh, and lots of family time coming up. My uh, uh, daughter is going to be starting kindergarten in the fall, so this is kind of the the end of our uh, uh, open schedule. We'll say, you know, up until this point, uh, we've had the the benefit of being able to just travel whenever we wanted to wherever um, as a family because we didn't have any school schedules. Um, but now she's going to kindergarten, so uh, this is kind of our last our last hurrah here before that. So uh, we've got some trips planned with the family, um, got workshops coming up in, uh, in Rainier, uh, Death Valley, Leavenworth. Um, and for my Rainier workshop, I actually teach a couple different ones up there. One is a set workshop, um, that's geared around the wildflowers, of course, uh, in the summer. And then the other one is, a uh, what I call a flex workshop where, uh, I'm going to start going up, um, in a couple weeks here, uh, basically going to go hit the mountain every three to four days until I am absolutely sure that the water, the wildflowers are going to be at peak. And then I call the people who have signed up for that workshop. Uh, there's only four, four people, but I call those folks up and we all make a last minute trip up to the mountain for a five day workshop up there. That's guaranteed to have the wildflowers. So, um, I'm looking forward to that. Uh, not, not only the workshop, of course, but but just going up to the mountain uh, that often this summer with my new Sony sensor camera that I'm going to be getting in a few days. <laughs> finally, finally, I'm going to get a Christmas card from Colby. So uh, <laughs> uh, hey, I, that I'm, means uh, we're all three Sony shooters then. I've waited my whole life to be cool, and I'm so happy that I finally made it. <laughs> well, I, I no longer have to send you the voodoo dolls. Now you actually get the Christmas card. So congratulations. Yes. <laughs> Voodoo doll, I mean. Absolutely. <laughs> of course. It always works, man. <laughs> That's awesome. And then uh, I, I think you had mentioned on Facebook or something, Aaron, recently that uh, you had like one more space available in your uh, nature photography business course. Is that right? 
I think I've got four more for this particular one and then another one next year. So yeah, there's a few spots left on there. You can, you can jump on. I know I had one gentleman sign up this morning, but uh, cool. yeah, and I can, I can take a few more. So there I've, I, every time I've ran it, I've filled it. Um, I, I, my starting number is 16 um, and I've filled every one. And then people say, I really don't want to wait until next year. And so then I squeeze a few more in. So it's uh, I, I could run up to 20 without, uh, without having to go too crazy. Yeah, I um, had Max Foster on the podcast, um, and I talked to his wife, Amy, and she said she went to your workshop on his behalf and learned a lot. So, yep, yeah, that's really cool. Yep, that's yeah, awesome. cool. Well, cool. He just climbed Mount Rainier. Congrats to, congrats to Max. That's that pretty cool. cool. Well, thanks, guys. This has been a lot of fun, and hopefully people learned something other than the fact that Aaron likes to walk around with no pants on. <laughs> and Colby, right. and Colby talks too much <laughs> definitely definitely one of those is definitely more prevalent than the other right. Right. I, I'm going to go back to watching Peppa Pig and eating Captain Crunch now that's what I'm going to do <laughs> sounds good well thanks guys I appreciate it thanks for having us All right. thanks Matt <laughs> well thanks to Aaron and Colby for coming on to the show I really appreciate you guys a lot and uh, keep up all the really great work you're doing you're both a huge inspiration to so many people so keep it up all right. Well, I wanted to thank our newest patron of the podcast, da, 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 Bob Miller. Bob and I actually met on a trip to Monument Valley a couple years ago, and we had a really great time. And I appreciate all of the support and camaraderie that Bob has provided to me since then. And I hope that you are enjoying the show, my friend. So thanks for your support. As a quick reminder, we have over 80 bonus episodes over on Patreon for anyone supporting the show at the $5 a month level or higher. It is by far our most popular, popular level of support because it grants you to those bonus episodes. Additionally, patrons of the podcast are encouraged to participate in our themed photo contests by submitting them to the community board on our Patreon page, which can be found at patreon.com slash fstop and listen slash community. The current theme, which will end July 26th, is mountains and deserts in honor of a tattoo that I am currently getting. It's about a three quarter sleeve and uh, yeah. Get, get more color added this week. It's going to be fun. So let's see those awesome shots over on the community board. Okay, well, let's talk about who's coming up next on the podcast. Next week's episode is uh, David Cobb from Photo Cascadia. I think you guys are going to really love that conversation. I had a great time talking with David. Today, I recorded with Taylor Gray, a travel and landscape photographer living in the Pacific Northwest. We had an amazing conversation as well, and I'm looking forward to releasing it to you guys. We also have Ryan Smith and Dustin Lefebvre coming on from the Outsiders Photo Conference, and they're going to talk all about the amazing shenanigans that they're planning for that conference, which I am attending and hope you will be too. I'm also looking forward to recording with Paris Shilat in person in a few weeks in Montana. All right. Well, I want to give special thanks to the incredible people we like to call our Patreon podcast producers. These people contribute at the $20 a month level and higher on our Patreon page and really do help guide the direction of the show. Uh, we do live Google chats and they can, uh, people at that level can give me some advice, give me some feedback. It's a really great way to engage with the show at a deeper level. So thank you so much to Michael Howard, Jack Curran, 
Eric Stensland, Chris Rice, Jeff Peterson, Charlotte Gibb, Jason Matias, David Kingham, Anton Everine, Laurie Berenson, William Nurse, Ken Dono, Danny Francois, James Bakavoy, Matthias at Photo Magica, Richard Wong, Zachary Smith, Gary Randall, and Frank Otto Peterson. All right. Well, thanks for stopping in, collaborating with us, and listening. See you next week.